Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Everybody's probably expecting Connor Clancy, but oh, we've got dog. Uh-huh. Mr. Charisma is here, everybody. And Mr. Charisma is joined by Kevin and Vito as is normal. Hello, lads. How are you both? I'm good, dog. Excellent. Are you, are you disappointed that it's me and not Connor? Well, I'm, I'm getting Kevin, which usually means I'm in trouble, so uh, hopefully not. Uh, I'm just preempting. That's the thing. I'm preempting just in case you are in trouble, Kevin. Um, right. So that's it. That is intro's done. Connor Clancy's away, gallivanting somewhere. Um, so that's why I is drafted me in at the last minute um, to do the, the the podcast. It's been a while since I've been on, so I'm sure it'll be fun because there's I've loads of things to say that I've not said for a long time. Um, yeah. So let's start. With a derby, Vito Doria, Genoa versus Sampdoria. I'm going to coin this the best crap derby in Italy because it was rubbish. 1-0 it finished to Sampdoria. Gabbiadini scored, what, 85 minutes in with Sampdoria's first shot on target. And in the whole game, there were only two shots on target. They had one each. It was rubbish. Absolute rubbish. From a technical point of view, that's where... You, oh, I have to agree. For the neutral, it would have been a very dour game to watch. There weren't many clear chances to score, and the quality of the passing was rather insipid, to be honest. Um, as a, Obviously, from a sump perspective, was just glad to get the points at the end, and uh, Gabbiadini once again came up as their hero in the derby, as he did nearly five years ago. Yeah, it was it was interesting because it was what was it, the same derby. Well, I say the same derby, but it was a Genoa Samp derby, and it was in the kind of oh, September. Was it September or something like that last time as well? So it was kind of earlier on in the season, and it was what seventy-five minutes that time as well. Um, so there were quite a few parallels. Um, these two teams, right? They are both. Dude, like, just go on that game. They both deserve to go down. They're crap. They're honestly, I've never been so bored at a football match. Apart from at the start, though, the fireworks were good at the start. That was fun. That's about the best bit of this derby is watching the fans. It's probably the time of the year where you're going to get the Stadio Luigi Ferraris to full capacity or close to it. Most of the time, both uh, both sets of fans don't really attend the games all that often unless you're talking about the diehards at each uh, end of the ground. When it comes to the derby, though, regardless of who's the home side, you'll get excellent choreography, excellent banners, and then, of course, the pyrotechnics. That will definitely be pleasing to the eye. So the description of best crap derby, I think the crap part is obviously for the technical quality or lack of it on show from the players, but uh, the fans, they definitely live up to the spectacle and if anything they're probably the big winners of the derby yeah i remember a few years ago as well whereas like they were moaning about the derby being moved to like six o'clock on a monday or something and they basically said that we are the derby so you better change it back to sunday night and eventually it was changed back to sunday night because the people know that 
the fans are the derby in this one. Kev, why are Sampdoria and Genoa so crap? I I don't know. I just you mentioning you mentioning the game that was put back then. I went to that because it was something to do with uh, like they had some market. They wanted to move it to a Monday night, and they said no, we're not having that. And we go back, and I got in. I got in quite well earlier than expected on Saturday night, and I was really excited. I thought, oh great, I'm gonna I'm gonna get to see the uh, get to see the derby. And then wow, it was it was horrific. And I think there's a little bit of of that edge of the that the playing staff this year have just been. Uh, really subpar for both sides you know Samp Genoa have kind of got this little face off between the two of them of who can who can keep their head above water just long enough to have bragging rights over the other you know Samp have gone like one point out of the relegation zone so Genoa are still in there and and then suddenly Genoa look like they're going to get a result at Lecce and then they throw that away and you think oh they can go into work on Monday morning and brag brag at the uh the Samp fans and and like you say, just on the performance this weekend, they can both go down, and we'd probably be much uh, the better for it in Syria. I'm waiting mm. for Vito to wince there as I say that because he won't <laughs> stand going. <down. laughs> okay. uh, oh, look, both teams, yeah, both teams in general have been bad this season. And uh, look, I still believe that. Look, at least on paper, we're not that bad to be relegated, but obviously. On the pitch, uh, results have not been convincing whatsoever, and uh, there's still a reasonably long way to go. We've got more than half a season left. But Vito, why? Why? Because last season you've had a a relatively good season, particularly at the start. How come, what, nine months later, it's just, you're not even half of the team you were last season. You're like a quarter or an eighth of the team you were last season, and most of the playing staff are pretty much the same. I think it's just the change between, let's say, now three different styles of uh, coaching. First, there was uh, Marco Giampaolo till the end of last season. He had his uh, possession-based philosophy, and in hindsight, he really brought the best out of those players and made them punch above their weight. Uh, There was a good uh, scheme, good plan to follow, and they were able to follow it pretty well. Then came Eusebio Di Francesco, and I think he wanted specific plays for his style of play, but uh, that obviously didn't work out and that failed miserably. And now with Claudio Ranieri, he's brought in his own way of playing, which is different to both Di Francesco and Giampaolo, and it's just made to grind out results. So it's been a very slow rise back up the table. Another thing, too, is I think off-field issues have probably affected Sump a lot more than what it has been the case in previous years. So maybe somehow that's filtered through to the locker room. Don't you think both sides last season had two individuals that were overperforming their sort of average? You know, you you had Qualiarella, which obviously kept it going for an entire season and had his best scoring uh, run ever. And then they, and Genoa had Piontek, who obviously had a, a real purple patch at the start of the season, was sold to Milan, and now this year we're kind of seeing him revert back to probably what is his sort of baseline. And and that's kind of why we kind of maybe thought that they were both slightly better than they were last year. Because I think if Jenner had kept hold of Piontek and he'd kept scoring in that side like he did last year, then they would have had a, a pretty similar season to Sampdoria. That's where I see probably... The differences in the coaching as well. With Sump, there was Giampaolo and he was there for the whole season. Pretty much the players knew what had to be done and Quagliarella was the focal point. Not only that, it, although it was an incredible season on Quagliarella's part, he's an experienced and proven striker. Uh, Piontek had came into Serie A as the leading goal scorer in the Polish league and he had that purple patch. Then he got sold in January. That being said, Genoa changed coaches quite a few times. And again, it was a matter of having different ideas. They seem to be playing a lot better under the more cautious and conservative style of Davide Ballardini. But then Preziosi, their owner, had one of his tantrums, sacked him, brought back Ivan Juric, wanted a more expansive or attack-minded style. That did not work out. And again, Genoa going 
through the rounds again with coaches, starting off I, with Andrea Zoli and now going with Motta. Yeah, see, it's kind of like what they do. They kind of, it seems like the Preziosi just like changes a coach, gets that like new coach bounce, wins a couple of games, then the coach does crap again. Then it's like, right, we'll change the coach again, get a couple of wins. And it does that enough times during a season that they get 40 points and end, and end up staying up. Because they've been there or thereabouts of relegation for a couple of years now. Here's an interesting one, Kevin. What do you think about this? There was a suggestion, a theory, a hypothesis that basically said that Thiago Mota is too good for Genoa in terms of what he wants the players to do. I, he wants them to play this mental, what is it, 727, but that's not really 727 because that's the what the horizontal way of looking at it. And the players he's got aren't good enough to carry out the instructions that he wants them to carry out. And that's why they're not doing as well as what they maybe should be. What do you think? Uh, interestingly, we'll move on to... Um to Napoli a little bit later, but there's been a lot of talk about Ancelotti going to Everton. And some people have thrown a similar theory out where the players that Ancelotti will have at Everton won't be able to carry out what he would want them to do, or that it's a, a club so uh, oh, far away from what he's used to coaching, if you look, think of the likes of Real Madrid and, and Bayern Munich. Now, you could aim that at Thiago Motta, but also we don't really know, you know, what he's like as a coach because he hasn't he hasn't got that experience for us to sort of fall back on and and, and gauge him on. You know, whether he'd do better with a, a better quality of player is, is one thing, but if you're starting out, you've got to kind of do the best with the uh, the uh, ingredients, if we call it that. Sorry, I've just been watching the Italian <laughs> cooking program. <laughs> that <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're asked to cook with um so yeah he may well but but first if he wants to get any uh sort of name for himself um he's got to be doing it with these players that, uh, that he's got there and maybe that's uh a, something of a learning curve for him as a coach that he has to tailor his uh coaching to what he's got available there you go well he didn't have zapata sturaro or kwame available for the game on Saturday, so maybe that had something to do with it. Right, that is about 10 minutes on the crappiest derby in Italy, and I think that is more than enough, everybody. Right, Kevin, you you, you mentioned it there. Uh, Napoli, they had a new coach, Gennaro Gattuso, the big man from Milan, went down to Napoli uh, after Ancelotti got sacked. So, uh, actually, well, Vito, actually, is, is Ancelotti past it? As, as he had his time, he's done all the big teams, he's won European Cups, he's won Scudetti in leagues and everything. And at Napoli, particularly this season, he's just taken them backwards. So is Ancelotti at the top level done? I'm starting to think that he is. After he was sacked from Bayern Munich, I thought it was just a one-off and that maybe with another team he'll be able to bounce back and do something. But... I've seen a bit of regression in this Napoli team due to the age of some of those players. But I also think it's also his uh, tactical flexibility or lack of it. I've been rather critical of his formation. He used a rather bizarre 4-4-2 formation, which I didn't think suited the characteristics of the squad at his disposal. And perhaps he was expecting a bit more investment from Aurelio De Laurentiis, but... uh, Probably the only significant signings that came in were Herbing Lozano and Costas Manolas. With what was there, I think the performances, especially in Serie A, have been rather underwhelming. And if another big club takes him on, you've got to wonder why they would do it. Are they focusing too much on his previous record or have they taken enough of his recent performances in consideration to see how he can utilise his squad tactically? Right, well, the, the, they've only got 21 points after 16 games, right? And that's the, that's the worst they've done since the 2000-2001 season and, and which year they got 14 points after the first 16 games. So, what, it's been 18 years, 19 years uh, since the, the, the previous worst start to a season. Vito, were they right to get rid of them? Was it the correct decision? At the moment, I will say yes, and that's largely because of the lack of tactical flexibility. Uh, I didn't see that Ancelotti was willing to change the formation that he was using and try to perhaps play to the strengths of the players 
more than what he should have. That being said, I do believe that uh, Napoli's problems go beyond uh, any coach that they would have at the moment. And I think when you look at this Napoli squad and compare it to the clubs and the squads Ancelotti's worked with with the past, I don't think many other top quality coaches or any other coach with his CV and pedigree could uh, improve it substantially. With the top of president that Napoli has in De Laurentiis, he's not going to spend lavishly on players. Uh, more than anything, he just wants to make sure that Napoli are afloat and they don't uh, fold or go bankrupt again. So mm. I think club stability means more at Napoli than any lofty ambitions. There you go, right, Kevin. We don't want lofty ambitions at Napoli. Just get in your box, basically. Is that what we're saying? Well, actually, no, forget that. Um, the game, actually, against Parma, they had 33 shots on goal. That's quite a lot. And they scored one. Yeah, but I don't think we can label that against uh, Ancelotti, but more against the group of players, because there have been several occasions this year, particularly I can think of a couple in Europe, I think it was at 1-1 against Genk away from home, where they've been extremely wasteful this year. Uh, in front of goal they seem to be going through this period in the last sort of two or three months where they create lots of chances but just 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 don't don't put them away the the problem is is when you actually because it's it's hard to well sorry it's easy to read a lot into the statistics and then say well they're creating a lot of chances eventually they'll come a game like we had midweek where they beat uh, Genk 4-0 at the uh, San Paolo but you know that was Genk and were certainly the weakest from that side but if you actually watch the games which is always a much better barometer for how a team's doing or or go to the games Kev hashtag well, FF go to at the, the games. games absolutely um, you, you know that's where you get an idea where they just kind of are going down blind alleys a lot and a lot of those chances that they create are not necessarily out of frustration, but out of getting to a point where you then have this, you know, you have a, a quick shot, you know, or you just try and get a shot away because the you, your teammate isn't making the run for you to maybe create a better chance. And, and, and you know, I've been doing a lot of that for the, a lot of this season. So it's whether Gattuso can get them working more cohesively. Um, I, I kind of, because of his playing days, think of him as one of these, coaches that will conjole a group of individuals to get a little bit more out of them but maybe that's a little bit bad on my part thinking that he hasn't well, got the tactical flexibility that we're looking for them to have well that's what he did at milan basically he, he can he wants to play a 4-3-3 that is the formation that he has decided his coaching career is going to be based on he's not the, the he's not the most tactically astute coach out there no, not at all but the one thing that i'll give him credit for at milan he takes no crap of anybody basically after i think it was kalinic didn't try hard enough in training one week so he was sent away he's like right go you're not in the squad bugger off sort yourself out and then come back and we'll see how you get on and he did that with a number of players like basically if they were not giving him what he in terms of the effort like he spoke about that quite a lot they need to have effort and play with their heart and obviously for milan it was always about the shirt and stuff like that and if they didn't then they were out End of story, no questions. Is that that is that is basically his first and for me primary primary requirement from the players is you have got to work. And if you're not working, then you're on your bike. And Napoli look like they've got a lot of players that fit that sort of category of oh, aren't working hard enough, maybe don't want to be there, have, have decided that their time uh, with the club's up. And the only problem with sort of maybe uh, De Laurentiis appointing a coach in that mould is that you can alienate too many of your players. It's okay if there's one or two that you want to sort of move on or maybe just refocus. But, you know, if you've, if you've got several, then it can lead to all-out mutiny, which is kind of what we've, we've already partially seen this season. Yeah, well, there was kind of half of that when Ancelotti was there because I know that Insigne and Ancelotti didn't talk to each other. They didn't like each other. They couldn't be in the same room as each other um, unless it was absolutely, completely necessary. And I think for me, having your club captain and your coach on the terms of we can't stand each other is you're going nowhere with that at all. It's just basically a recipe for disaster and disaster it was. 
I just have I just have concerns whether Gattuso is actually going to fix that problem, or whether it's it's a it's a it's a bigger uh, plan from the owner that he gets a few of those um, disgruntled voices out of the club. Mm, there we go. Right on to Parma very briefly. Um, Cora Clancy has probably spoken about this guy quite a lot. Dejan Kulusevski. He scored pa- Parma's 500th goal away from home in Serie A ever. So there you go. He got a wee record to himself. Obviously a goal and assist in the victory over Napoli, Vito. Um, quickly, how how good is this guy? Surprisingly, based on uh, this, form, this season's form, he's looking like he's the real deal. It's easy to really over-evaluate these youngsters or give them more praise than they perhaps merit. But I think he's a fundamental part of that Parma side for this season. And he has been linked with the transfers away from the club in January. But uh, by the sound of things, Parma are trying to do what it takes to keep him there on loan. And then hopefully for them, he stays there till the end of the season because... He is someone that does provide a lot of energy and he's a strong youngster, but he has those technical qualities as well. And he was involved in both goals. So I think he deserves a lot of praise for what he's done this season, as well as the game against Napoli. Um, There were celebrations this weekend, lads. Big celebrations. 120 years of AC Milan. Um, Before we got onto the no-no draw with Sassuolo, What's your favourite memory of these 120 years? Okay, first, <laughs> a negative before a positive. I know who what you're going to say. Who celebrates 120 years? Well, they got a special shirt and they gave flags to everybody at the stadium. Not flags, them scarves. I, to everybody I don't even the understand the 125 years. You know, it, uh, anyway, okay, I won't, I won't be miserable, <laughs> Kev, this week. Um, my, my fondest memory is probably the uh, destruction of Barcelona in 1994. Because I think, like most people, I spent uh, a lot of the the Champions League campaign that year looking at that wonderful Barcelona side, and I think everybody expected them to run riot. And it was just that, how they how they took them apart in, oh, Athens? Am I, miss, oh, am I getting my Champions yes, League yes. finals wrong? Yeah, yeah 94 that? and 07, yeah. they won yeah. in Athens. Yeah, and being a bit of a, a Savicevic fan, you know, his performance on the night was just wonderful. So, yeah, I think that's my that's my uh, my best memory of uh, recent AC Milan's. There you go. What about you, Vito? What's your favourite memory of the club? I wouldn't put it down to one game as such, but if I had to put it down to, say, one season, at least in watching football regularly, would have to be that 2002-2003 season when they won that Champions League and Betty Aventus on penalties. On penalties, in the, in the worst Champions League final ever. But not for that specific <laughs> final, the run for it. Uh, so it was a rather fantastic run at that time. And it was an excellent squad too. Uh, Shevchenko and Inzaghi up front, uh, Rui Costa playing behind them, Gattuso and Pirlo in that midfield. So, yeah, and that defence was still fantastic. They still had Paolo Maldini there, so... Yeah, a real, rather fantastic side to watch. Otherwise, yeah, looking back, you know, following the history of the game, that I've seen replays of that 94 final, and that was rather incredible considering how strong Barcelona were, and Milan were missing several key players, but Capello put on a coaching masterclass in that game, and as Kev just mentioned, uh, Savicevic had a wonderful game, especially that lobbed goal. That was outrageous. 2005 was also good. Yeah, I was waiting on you saying that one. <laughs> that, that, that was the one I was expecting, to be perfectly honest. But uh, I, I was going to say, I like 2007. I thought that was a bit better. Ha <laughs> ha. Um, an interesting one. Uh, I quite liked... Um, it's not really a big memory, but I, I just want to kind of... I don't know why it always sticks in my mind, but it was the 1999 Scudetto win, where they won it with... Um, Alberto Zaccaroni and had Oliver Bierhoff and they were just rubbish for like the majority of the season but went on this mad run right at the end and pipped Lazio by one point um, I think they beat Perugia away on the last day of the season yes um, 
And I, I think it was I, I was I was Andreas Guglimen Pytro or or Gulli as he was more commonly known because his name's too long. Who opened the scoring for me? I just always remember that it was on TV. It was one of those weird ones. Um, and then I think the other one, Kaká, when he destroyed Man United, and that was that was the 2007 season where he absolutely just ripped them an absolute new bumhole, um, which was. Obviously, good for Milan fans. Um, right, so there, you've had that. You, Milan used to be good. Another crap. No, um, no, with Sassuolo. A goal disallowed by or chopped off by VAR um, after Frank Kessie handballed. Teo Hernandez scored, but Kessie handballed in the build up. And I don't think anybody can argue that it wasn't a handball because he cradled it like a little baby. It was so sweet what he was doing with the ball there. Um, <laughs> Vito, what links Gerard Delofeu and Rafael Leal? Well, Leal is a current AC Milan player and Delofeu is a... Well done, Vito, well done. Come on, Vito, it's going to be a bit more difficult than that. Come on. Kev, can um, you think... Can what other have... link then? Well, no, that, that's the question. What links them? Something spe- very, very specific. I'm clutching at straws about how specific it is, but it's very specific. Kev, do you know? No, I I can't even think um, at the moment, though. Right, okay. Right, everybody. Here is the big question, right? Rafael Leal and Gerard De La Feo are the last two Milan players who have hit the woodwork twice in the same match in Serie A. Oh, that is specific. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I've got, I've got loads of stuff like that. So there you go. Um, yeah, so... Leal hit the woodwork twice um, as Milan had 23 shots uh, against Sassuolo, but uh, it was big pegolo. They couldn't get past them or the woodwork or VAR or Domenico Berardi when pegolo decided to do a big dance um, through the, I think he came about to halfway line to to come and get the ball. Um, But yeah, Milan dropped some more points. (laughs) Did we see Vito any... Anything from Milan that shows that they're getting a bit better than what they were at the start of the season? Yeah. I'm not uh, totally convinced as yet. I thought perhaps last week they had turned the corner, but I'm convinced that Milan, when they have Giacomo Bonaventura in good form, I think he makes a big difference. If he doesn't play a good game, that's a bad sign for Milan. And when he's absent... I think Milan are significantly worse off. They're pretty average, mid-table. 21 points, same as Napoli and Torino, Kev. Um, here's a, here's one for you. So I heard somebody suggest this today, and I, I almost choked on whatever I was eating. Teo Hernandez is the best left-back in Serie A. Not a chance. <laughs> I, I'm not a big fan of Mario Rui, but I think I'd put him in front of Teo Hernandez. Scathing from Kev, I, scathing. I, well, yeah. I mentioned this. I mentioned. Oh, well, I've mentioned on several pods about the the lack of quality in the the squad overall, and I think because fans and I, you know, and I think this is natural. You're so desperate for your side to do well, and I think if you're a side like Milan that have that history of success, you're so desperate for them to get back to those levels that you will believe any new signing is that great white hope that's gonna push you on and is a level above what they actually are um it was it was the it was the late winner against palmer that i think even on his own social media account across the next week he made four or five references (laughs) winning goal and i thought to myself you are really really milking this and that is how bad you are that you're milking an 86 minute poked winner against palmer there you go. So Teo Hernandez is not the best left back world. Um, does Latan fix the problems? Then you mentioned that the new signing is going to be the next great hope. Everybody is basically saying that Latan is is going to join Milan um, in January. Is is he the man? Thirty eight year old Latan Ibrahimovic, fresh from the MLS, is he the man to take Milan to Champions League qualification? Well, it it will be an increase in in quality, and I think you know they they'd get a bit out of him. But it was when Vito was saying that Bonaventura is so crucial to their side, and he's he's approaching thirty one, and I think that's also an issue for them. When when you're you can rely on your uh, experienced and your your veterans, if we call them veteran players, but 
there needs to be an overall bigger strategy, whether it's rely on you for, uh, you know, one that means purchasing um, even older but experienced and quality players, and they just seem all over the place at the moment. I don't think Ibrahimovic coming in will do much to help that. It's an inter- it's interesting actually, Vito and Kev, you both both of you brought up Bonaventura because he's out of contract, I believe, at the end of the season, and our or the nor- normal host Connor Clancy, he was he was trying to get Atalanta to bring him back to Atalanta. Do you think if you're Giacomo Bonaventura, right? So what you say, what you're 31 years old, you're kind of getting to the tail end of your career. Um, obviously, he's an Atalanta man and all that. He's at Milan just now, who are languishing in mid-table, don't really look like they're going anywhere. Atalanta, obviously, in the Champions League, possibly could, yeah, I've got a good chance of getting in it next season as well. Do you just, like, like jump ship, forget the Rossoneri, get back to the, the good ship La Dea Vito? The good idea? I think it's a good idea to consider if he does want to return to Atalanta, he will fit the youth graduate quota or youth academy Mm. quota for starters. Uh, Secondly, in case something happens to Papu Gomez, if he picks up an injury or something like that, at least Bonaventura, you know, he's a player that that can uh, perhaps play in his role or add different attacking qualities to that team. Otherwise... That might provide Gasparini with other attacking options and try and accommodate the duo in the same side. There we go. Right. So Atalanta then. Um, they lost today against Bologna, but kind of the the main thing from Atalanta was it was two one. But the main thing this week for Atalanta has obviously been the miracle of the Champions League, the miracle of Kharkiv. For a club like them, I don't think Serie A is that much of a priority at the moment. Since they demolished Udinese 7-1 a few weeks ago, the league form has uh, not been as impressive. And uh, in the Champions League, they've pulled off some incredible results after losing the first three. It seemed that inexperience was getting to them at the start, but they've provided this phenomenal turnaround. And then to beat Shakhtar 3-0 in the Ukraine, I think that's uh, just the icing on the cake for them. It was really... Mm-hmm. Something out of the ordinary. And for Atalanta to progress it around the 16, I think they're an inspiration for all the other provincial Italian sides. They're a great example to follow. And hopefully we can see more incredible stories like this in the future. Well, Cagliari are already, are already on it, Vito, so don't worry about that. Cagliari are following in the footsteps, so don't worry. Now I've got a bit of a surprise for everybody. Guess what? Mr. Connor Clancy is in the building. Connor, um, you were at Bologna's match with Atalanta and you said that Atalanta were a bit hungover. So, as we've kind of spoken about just a bit before, does, is the season just now all about the Champions League and then we'll see if they can qualify again once they get knocked out? <laughs> yeah, I did say they were hungover and a few of us were talking in the, the press room of the press box before the game at the Talara. And we kind of thought, you know what, maybe this is Bologna's day because Atalanta will probably still be nursing that hangover from what happened on Tuesday, which was incredible. And then it looked like it wasn't the case because within 10 minutes they had three big chances to take the lead. Malinowski was first to miss, then it was Pasolic and then it was Muriel. And it just looked like it was going to be another one of those Atalanta performances where they miss a lot of chances but create a lot of chances and probably take one or two or three of them sooner or later but it wasn't to be because then after that initial strong 10 minutes they they were terrible I mean they were making really schoolboy errors the passing was atrocious the movement was non-existent and it was almost as if they were playing on muscle memory so they they knew their bodies knew where they were supposed to be and what they were supposed to do but they didn't quite have that sharpness of mind or or strength or energy really to actually put into execution what they've worked on for the last three and a half years under Gasparini and Bologna made them pay because Bologna for all their flaws and defensively they've got big problems they're not a bad side and when they've got the ball they are capable of causing teams problems as they showed to to AC Milan last week as well in the other game that I was at and yeah Bologna aren't the worst side this is Atalanta's first away loss of the season whether their season is now just about 
the Champions League. I'm, I'm not so sure because. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. They've shown already they're able to compete in both. Um, they, they progress from the group and they're still challenging for the top four in Serie A. So you would think, what, they've got two more games in February, March. They'll be fine. They should be able to keep ticking along in Serie A until then and then there's two games I think they're like a month apart as well right the first Champions League knockout games um, but yeah no Atalanta have every reason to keep doing what they've been doing for the last I want to say three and a half years but particularly year and a half under Gasparini when it's really stepped up another level and yeah this was a game also where they were without Papu Gomez they were without Josip Bilicic and they were without Duvan Zapata still um, so I think Atalanta will be fine once the path is back as well, particularly him and Papu. They'll they'll be okay. And what about looking at it from a Bologna point of view? Big Ricardo Orsellini, he had a pretty decent game, didn't he? Yeah, um, Ricardo Orsellini was excellent. One of a few Bologna players who played really well, to be fair. But I kind of got the feeling beforehand, and I tweeted that I could see Orsellini getting a goal before the game, and he didn't quite get his goal, but. Palacio got the opener, which in truth, it was Ricardo Orsellini's goal. Come on. He, he picked the ball up on the right. He drove inside. He kind of beat two Atalanta players, I think it was, and then thumped the shot from the edge of the box that bounced back off the post. And Rodrigo Palacio was just running in at the right time, like good strikers should, and he was able to tap it in. But I was also quite impressed by Andrea Poli. He, he was very, very good in midfield, considering that Atalanta had four central midfielders as well. Usually they only play two, but because of the injury situation with Pasolic, or not with Pasolic, sorry, with Ilicic and Gomez, they had to play with Pasolic and Malinowski in front of Freuler and Daron. But Pauli was excellent. He kind of kept things together for Bologna midfield, organised them quite nicely. And he held his own against what has been a really impressive Atalanta midfield. So Andrea Pauli, yeah, another standout player for Bologna this afternoon. And last thing from you, Mr. Clancy, Brescia won. What happened? Why? How did they do it? Brescia did win. And to be honest, they were largely gifted that by the angel that is Gabriel the week before Christmas. A little bit of appropriate. I tried to avoid that, but come on. It's hard not to, isn't it? He was unbelievable in all the wrong ways. Just if anyone hasn't seen Brescia's second goal, I urge them to go watch it. Um, Torre Grossa, who hasn't scored in, or who hadn't scored in Serie A this season, 
was absolutely gifted it after Gabriel came to claim a cross from Sandro Tonali, which was a really poor cross. And for some reason, at the last second, he decided to let it go, not knowing that I think it was Spalek was was in behind them, and he kept it in, rolled it across goal, and Toro Grosso was there unmarked, and he was almost looking around as the ball came to him, thinking, "Am I allowed to to score this?" And he he put it in, and then went over and kicked the corner flag. He was so happy, but yeah, um, Lecce were were quite disappointing. We've we've seen them play quite well this season. I know you saw them get a point at San Siro as well, Dov, but. This wasn't their finest game. Um, Brescia delivered, but some some credit to Eugenio Corini because he wasn't doing a bad job before he got binned off there. Um, Fabio Grosso came in, four games in charge. They didn't score a goal. They conceded 10. They didn't get a point, naturally. Um, Corini's come back. The fans wanted him back after the derby against Atalanta. They were all singing his name. He's come back. He's won two in a row. Um, the first time Brescia have won two in a row since, what is it? September 2010, first time they've kept consecutive clean sheets in Serie A since, I think it is November 2004. You know, I've got that in my report and analysis, so go over and look for the specific numbers. But yeah, Brescia look okay, and if Corini can keep them on this upwards trajectory, take them into Christmas, take them into the break, who knows, they might just be all right. Right, let's, uh, where will we go now? Right, we got to learn. Inter? Ah, right, okay, we'll, we'll do it then. We'll get to Inter, we're about halfway through, we'll get to Inter. Um... So, they went out of the Champions League after going a goal ahead against Barcelona, but then losing 2-1. Then they went to Fiorentina and were a goal up, thanks to Borja Valero. But then, I think, what was it, 92nd, 93rd minute, um, Dusan Vlahovic scored to make it 1-1 and then make Juventus an inter-level at the top after Juve had destroyed Udinese earlier on in the day. Um, Kev, are Inter the... Uh, the the masters of their own downfall for not being able to close out games when they really should do so. Yeah, well, they they certainly were today, and they probably should have midweek against an understrength Barcelona side. Um, I, I can imagine that Antonio Conte is still in an absolute rage in or around the inter dressing room as we uh, as as we speak, but. I, I think they've had so many narrow victories and they've been grinding these results out. There was there was going to become a time where they were going to drop some points from just not taking, um, well, really taking the advantage of a, a side that's significantly weaker from them. If we remember how badly Fiorentina have been playing just lately. And the only saving grace might be this, might be a kick up the backside over the next couple of weeks if they can rally around again and... and get uh, a win next week which is the last or the second to last week before it's the break the last week before the break they're they are or they're home to genoa so if they don't win that then christ almighty yeah say goodbye to the scudetto <laughs> chance, yeah <laughs> um vito what do you think um about obviously before the game on friday uh, Inter, they cancelled their pre-match press conference because the Corriere dello Sport printed a letter from um, a random person um, that was critical of Antonio Conte and in particular the um, match against Barcelona. Um, and they basically decided that because of this, there was no press conference and journalists were in the press conference room in Appiano Gentile. And if anybody knows anything about Appiano Gentile, it's a mile away from Milan. It's a pain in the arse to get to. So they all went there and then Inter were like, eh, sorry, we're not doing the press conference because of this random letter in the Corriere dello Sport. What what do you think, Vito? Is this right, wrong? I personally think it's rather petulant of Inter to be outraged because of a fan letter or a letter just from a football fan writing from home. It's different to, say, a columnist, an opinionist, or just a journalist uh, saying his views, but... It's kind of weird, sorry, Vito, it's kind of like strange about who it comes from. It seems like it's a fan or like some kind of anonymous journalist, but it's just an anonymous person. Um, I don't know if it's a fan or... or no, I, I, apparently the person did say in the letter he's a fan of um, Bologna. It wasn't like that was a a vent or a rant from a angry interista. It was just uh, someone who's more or less a neutral, but I think looking at those comments, I think this fan said some rather blunt and honest truths and uh, 
criticisms about Inter and the Interisti and the Nerazzurri hierarchy probably did not take it too well. That being said, I think in recent times the Corriere dello Sport have been under great scrutiny for a headline they published prior to the Inter-Roma game. So I think perhaps this letter was more for the sake of putting more fuel on the fire or more reasons to distance themselves from the Corriere dello Sport for the sake of it. I think as well, Conte probably didn't want to answer any questions about why Inter failed against Barcelona after going 1-0 up because his press conference after the game wasn't very long. He didn't really say too much. Uh, it seemed quite sombre, and I think there was only maybe four or five questions, and they kind of got him in and out as, as quickly as possible. So I think having a, a longer one when everybody's been able to kind of mull over things and look into things a bit more, uh, I don't think he really want, he could really be bothered with it. Um, so they decided, right, we'll use that as an excuse to not do it. That's that's my theory, anyway. Um, right, so that means Inter, what, they're on 39 points, I believe, and that is level with Juventus, because, like I mentioned there before, Juve destroyed Udinese. Um, this game was pretty boring in the same way that the Genoa Derby were, in a different way from the Genoa Derby. This was boring in the fact that Juventus, they were like a cat playing with a mouse. It just looked like at any point they could just kind of score again and again and again. And Udinese had absolutely nothing um, in response. Ronaldo got two. Leonardo Brucci got the other one before half time, And then it was just right at the end, uh, Pusetto scored which was just a kind of bit of, I was a consolation. Nobody really cared, to be perfectly honest. Kev, Ronaldo's on fire. Ronaldo's back. He's going to take Juve to the Scudetto. Hmm? Well, he's got to do something to justify that uh, best player in Serie A tag. Um, he is, he is. He's the best player. He got the award. I've seen him get it. Yeah, well, did he have his hairband on? Cause, <laughs> no, no know, I didn't. He, he maybe maybe that's, uh, that's, that's made him more streamlined and more, uh, you know, now he can see the goal, so maybe he'll, he'll, he'll hit even more in the coming weeks. But, there. but yeah, like you say it wasn't it wasn't a it wasn't a great watch because it's like as soon as they were out of sight, they they did just allow then Udinese to have a lot of the ball. And if you were to watch the highlights alone, they you might have thought that Udinese were were pressurising uh, Juventus, but the truth of it was, it was almost like holding a small child by the head. <laughs> Uh, and, you know, because you know they're not going to strike you, but you're just going to, you know, just let them sort of run out of energy for the last 45 minutes so you can sort of conserve your own. It was uh, a sad second 45 minutes. Yeah, well, that, that that's that's kind of the thing when I was watching. It was just like you, you kind of knew that Udinese had absolutely nothing. I think it was like in the first 15, 20 minutes, like they could not get out of their own half. Um, and then in the second half, it was almost as if you were actually, yeah, go for it, see what you can do. And then if you do anything, we will do something even better. Uh, the big thing coming out of the game, which everybody was talking about, was the tridente of Higuain, Dybala and Ronaldo playing together um, and all playing quite well, I thought. I thought Dybala in particular, even though he didn't score, I thought he was like just some of the touches and what he was trying to do it didn't always come off, but he, for me, is on another level this season. He's just doing everything right, and uh, particularly off the back of last season where it looked like he was probably going to leave after a poor campaign. Um, and now he's, for me, more key to that side than Ronaldo is. Um, Buffon as well, he played because Chesney was injured, and he went level with Alessandro Del Piero on 478 appearances for Juve in Serie A so there you go well done Buffon and he's, I think he's one away from Maldini's all time record in Serie A as well so he'll have that by the time the season's finished um, Vito on the Scudetto race it's um, week by week blow by blow Inter and Juve are just smashing each other back and forward and it doesn't look like they're going to be separated by the time Christmas comes are we really going to get a Scudetto race by the time April, May comes? Or is this, or are we just getting led into a false sense of security? I'm going to be pessimistic and say that it might be a false sense of security. The reason I think that is largely because of what we have witnessed in the last eight seasons. We do have these glimmers of hope that Juventus' dominance eventually gets broken in Serie A only to be let down by whoever 
challenges Juventus for the title. In Inter's case, they've had good starts under Roberto Mancini when he returned, and then Luciano Spalletti only to fall behind the wayside in the second half of the season. Uh, this season, I think, at least from what we've seen so far, uh, midfield depth is the concern. Uh, they look much better off when Stefano Sensi and Nicolo Barella are fit. And if those two are in good shape around April or May and Inter near the top, I think they're in with a chance. Now, aren't you lot in for a treat? Not only did we have Cora Clancy making a surprise guest appearance on the show, now we have Alistair McKenzie coming live and direct from Rome to talk about Roma versus Spal. Alistair, right, in this game, Spal, in fact, took the lead against Roma and Roma had to field their second string centre-back. So, can we say that maybe the second string aren't up to the task that the first choice pair are. <laughs> I think it would be a bit unfair to say that, given that the way the goal came about was from a mistake by Alexander Kolarov, and it was quite an avoidable one. He basically took the ball from the keeper, miscontrolled it, didn't see um, Chonek coming in behind him, and then stuck out leg and, and tripped him. And the thing was as well, that came completely against the run of play. Um and so, yeah, I mean, overall, I think that given that Roma had to field their second-string centre-backs, they couldn't hope for a better game to have it in because they're up against not only the bottom team in the league, but the, don't forget the team with the worst attack in the league, second-worst attack in Europe behind Watford now as well. They've only scored 10 goals all season. Uh, Patani got the penalty. That appears to be one of the only ways that they can score goals. So I think that Fonseca will quietly be pretty happy with the timing of this in terms of Smalling's injury, Mancini's suspension that he could put Setin and uh, Fazio together with very little risk of anything going catastrophically wrong. Looking at Roma in general then, do you think um, Paolo Fonseca has actually managed to get this group of players sorted out and kind of on the up again? I still think Roma are a bit of a work in progress, if I'm honest, but um, I think Fonseca's definitely found a good balance. Um, he's found, a, I think, close to what he thinks is his, his first choice 11 now, and that might sound a bit strange to hear, but the thing is he's had to deal with so many um, injury problems throughout this season. Uh, I think he emerged with great credit from the period of, of serious injuries that Roma had when they even had Jack Rodwell coming in on a trial and so on because they had so few midfielders and Gianluca Mancini had to fill in there and so on. But I think he's got them playing some very nice football. They're, they're, they're good to watch, easy on the eye. Um, and he's he's certainly starting to, to, to I suppose, have his... His full squad available again. Uh, it seems strange to say that now because there were so many, so uh, many players unavailable for the match today. But he is more and more looking like a coach who knows his squad, who knows uh, what to ask from them, who can get the best out of them, and who's uh, getting his style of football to work on this team. So um, it depends, I suppose, what you call by sorting Roma out. I think their objective for this season will be a top four finish, and they're very much in that conversation at the moment. And I think, to be honest, the more time Fonseca has with this squad, the better they're likely to get, and especially if their um, injury problems ease off in the new year as well. And just quickly on Spal, they've got nine points after 16 games. There are six points adrift of safety. Is it pretty much nailed on that Spal are going down now? It's getting harder and harder to find arguments for how Spal are going to stay up this season. I suppose they've got a couple of things to their advantage, which is that despite how terrible they've been winning on the two games from 16, they are still only six points off safety at the moment because there's a lot of other bad teams down there as well. So they do just need to basically find some form. They're nowhere near that at the moment because they've got nine games without a win. Um, but I think it essentially comes down to their lack of threat going forward. I think defensively they've got enough about them that they can keep things tight and they should be able to shut out opponents if they need to. But the thing is, if they can't score goals, that's not going to do anything for them. So um, I wrote a piece on Forza Italian Football that will be up on, up on the website on Monday basically talking about the fact that this is a team that scored 18 goals from headers last season, um, which was the highest in the league. This season, after 16 games, they still haven't scored any headed goals. So they're not they're not replicating at all what they had last season. Obviously, they've uh, massively missed the crossing ability of Manuel Lazzari, Mohamed Fares, who are their, their wing backs last season, who really contributed in an attacking sense. But 
I think a they need a striker to to complement Andrea Patania rather than relying on Patania alone to score their goals. Um, someone who's a, who's a more clinical goal scorer is more reliable to to pitch in with regular goals. And b they need more creativity in that team as well because if you don't have creative players and you don't have finishers, then there's only one direction you're going in. And at the moment, I don't think Spal have either of those things. So. For me, they really need to be investing in January and getting uh, that side of their squad sorted out because it does appear at the moment like they did a terrible job last summer um, in terms of putting the squad together and and recovering from the players that they lost. Um, And on Monday, Cagliari, Rolando Moran's marauding men host Lazio in Sardinia. And Vito... This is a big game. This is third versus fifth. It was third v fourth before Roma won. What do you think? I think this has the ingredients to be another fantastic game. With Lazio now out of the Europa League, they can focus on Serie A and they still have a few key players that have been in fantastic form, especially Luis Alberto and Ciro Immobile. Well, Cagliari, they've been the revelation of the campaign. The squad in general has been playing very well, but uh, the experience and quality of Rajan Angolan has made a significant difference to this squad and uh, won't be easy to pick a winner in this game, but uh, I think for the neutral, this would be one to watch. There you go, everybody. Watch it. Kev, whatever you're doing, stop it. I was looking over my notes from the last two weeks. Right, what, 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 what did your you notes know, say? Tell us. Well, I could just remember calorie dropping points where I didn't expect them to. So I think that was um, last week away at Sassuolo. They were 2-0 down. Mm-hmm. And OK, they, they did well to come back. And then there was a couple of weeks before, I think it was, when they, they again, they drew 2-2 with Lecce. And it's one, of those, it's one of those fixtures that when you look at it, you think, OK, this could be a real, a real difficult test. But if that calorie side turn up against Lazio... Uh, the way they've been playing this season, the way Alberto's been providing assists for everybody and, and Mobley's been smashing goals in left, right and centre. I actually think that I'd give Lazio probably 75% chance of a win and also maybe even the opportunity for them to sort of set a bit of a marker down because they are going away to Cagliari. They can come away with a, you know, even a, a, a victory by two clear goals, maybe three clear goals and, and really sort of I know it's. I know it's. There's still one more game to go before the break, but it would. Uh, it would set down a marker for that. That final Champions League place, even to m- make themselves a bigger um, talking point in the Scudetto race. Yeah, well, I think I think what Vito mentioned there about the Europa League, I think that's a big factor because I think for me that's always been kind of almost Lazio's Achilles heel in terms of the squad they've got isn't strong enough to play in the Europa League, in the Coppa Italia and in Serie A. But now, they've pretty much, they've got rid of the Europa League. Who knows how far they'll go in the Coppa. And then they're already doing really well in Serie A. So I think this might be the season where Lazio make it into the Champions League as well. But that depends if Rolando Moran's Cagliari bring their 4-3 Sampdoria game to the table, Vito, where they were 3-1 down, but won it in the 90th minute. Eh? Do you like that one? Hmm? Oh, as a Sump fan, obviously no, but uh, <laughs> obviously taking the bias aside, I think for the neutral, I think that's a strong contender for a match of the season. That was an incredible game. And it also shows about this season's Kayeri, they have enough strength and intensity to play games for the full 90 minutes. So Sampdoria have been disappointing throughout the season, but I think watching Kayeri so far throughout the campaign... They are a team that are in great condition physically. They're very fit. And uh, even when results aren't going the right the way, they can turn it around. For instance, there was that game against, um, yeah, um, there was the Sump game, but a few others too where you didn't think they would be able to get any points, but they still were able to obtain a result. There you go. Right. Yeah, that, that's all I've got, guys. Have I missed anything? I hear silence. Nothing. Oh, uh, nothing overly significant. Well, Ellis Verona three. Yeah, well, no, three. No, nobody cares about that, Vito. That was a nah. great comeback from Hellas, but it means absolutely nothing. Two rubbish mid-table yeah. teams. Who cares? Um, yeah. Right. And Saudi two goals. 
I mean, yeah. that's concerning. Yeah, for him, but the rest if of the he, team. He should go back to Inter. They they need a left back or whatever, so they should go back <laughs> Um Right. How did I do, Kev? Did I do all right? Was the banter good? Was the charisma there? Was it like Clancy had never gone? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You just needed to hang a Papu Gomez shirt behind you, and it was like Connor was never away. <laughs> I need, I'll, I'll get rid of some hair as well, so that um, I'm feeling <laughs> like he is. See, now we'll see if he listens to this, right? So if he gets to be digging. If he doesn't, we won't tell him, though. Um, right, everybody. That, that is us. FF at the games. We're at how many games this week? Like seven. We're at seven Serie A games. You don't get that anywhere else, apart from Gazetta dello Sport, but they're Gazetta dello Sport. We're we not doing, quite Are we doing hmm? eight? Ben at, is Ben at Cagliari? No, Ben's not at Cagliari, unfortunately. He's like, he is unable to attend. Um, tried our best, but he's not able to go. So, uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's sad about that. But he'll, he'll be back in the game after the new year. So there you go. Right, I'm done. Um, Connor Clancy will hopefully be back with you all next week because I'm sure everybody will be mourning about the fact he's not there. And... Kev, you probably won't be back next week because you're away gallivanting, aren't you? I will be in Qatar. Yeah. Yeah, and then I'll be me done until the new year. There you go. But Vito will be here. He's hardcore. He he he's he's, he's in it. he's in it for the long haul. Um, yes. <laughs> right. I don't know how how he finishes these things. Um. Yeah. Thank you, Kev. Thank you, Vito. Thank you, Dolph. Um. And Connor will see you next week. So. Goodbye, everybody. Get on to football. Uh, get, get on to ForzaItalianFootball.com because that's where you need to go. And hashtag FIF at the games and social media and all that rubbish as well. So goodbye for now. I wrote this song two hours before we met. I didn't know your name or what you looked like yet. Stayed at home and gone to bed. I could have gone to see a film instead. You might have changed your mind and seen your friends. Life could have been very different, but then.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.